at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pella entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Well, quite a news day. We'll continue to keep you updated about what's going on on the roads. I, I, I want to I start off. I... I I'm a I'm an avid reader, and I, I always have three or four books going. and And right now, I'm I'm reading a, a fact based book about the uh, fall of France in in World War II, and it's kind of interesting because I think it has some some parallels to what's going on now, some eerie parallels, as a matter of fact. And then I, I'm actually uh, a listener had recommended this book series uh, about um, the the fall of France as well and it's set in World War two and it involves the resistance and things like that and it's it's actually kind of a quick read there's a few books in it I started reading it and it, it's a pretty good sort of series kind of a pop porn read but I've been reading a lot about the the refugee status and what it's like to have a country occupied so this morning I was um, at the car dealer having my car serviced and i rarely watch network tv i just i just don't do that a lot but they had i think it was the cbs news on this morning so i'm sitting there waiting for the oil change and things like that and i i was really struck by one of their correspondents who they had on the poland ukraine border and they were they were interviewing refugees and in particular it's it's women and children and they had these like there was one of this small child who who couldn't have been more than like three years old, and he was forced to flee his home. He's with his mother. His father is is back, presumably fighting. His father hasn't left. The the little boy, he's got all his possessions are in a backpack, and it's it's a couple changes of clothes, and it's a handful of toys. And he's he's pulling the different toys out, and he, he's showing them. And I I mean this this is the face of Putin's war. And I remember watching that, and I can just feel my blood pressure going up because here, here's the bottom line of this this guy vladimir putin is a monster and any of the so-called true russians who support this war of aggression are evil monsters as well that this is this is not a, a war designed to i don't know preserve preserve your 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 sovereignty that's not what this is all about this is a war of conquest this isn't a war on terrorism this isn't a war against some aggressor this is a war vladimir putin and his supporters in russia are launching purely because they think they can do it and interestingly enough, that, that's not going very well. But anybody who lobs missiles into cities, anybody who kills civilians in the fashion they're doing it, they are evil monsters and deserve to be denounced as such. Now, I understand that any time there's a military action, there's always a, a risk of civilian casualties. right? And, that, and you'll see that story. Okay, the U.S. You know, sends cruise missiles in to take out a leader of al-Qaeda, and, and they're, you know, the building they hit it happens to, you know, there, there ends up being a half dozen civilians who are killed. And that is a tragedy. 
and it's fair to hold people accountable for that. But that's not the intent. The intent is to take out the al-Qaeda leader, who in many cases they shelter among civilians to try to deter that type of stuff. That's not what Putin is doing. Putin and the Russians are indiscriminately killing civilians in order to try to break the morale of Ukrainians so that they will surrender. Now, it's actually, I think, it's a very poorly thought-out strategy because my sense is every time this happens, what you see is people, um, they're just, their resolve is becomes deeper and stronger. But really, these are evil people. Vladimir Putin is an evil person. The Russians that support him are evil people. And I think at some point in time, just like it was the mission of the free world, to rise up in World War II and stop the menace of Adolf Hitler. At some point in time, it becomes the mission of the free world to stop the evil that is Vladimir Putin. Now, I'm not arguing, again, that this is boots on the ground in Ukraine and that this is the particular spot where you need to launch World War III. But I think it's very, very telling that you understand what Russia is. and You understand how some presidents recently have completely and totally misjudged what Russia was. Remember Barack Obama during the debates against Mitt Romney, where Romney talks about Russia's threat, and dismissively Obama says, oh, you know, hey, you know, 1989 is calling. It wants its conflict back. You know, we don't need to worry about Russia. Well, Obama was really, really wrong in there. And I'm not saying other presidents haven't been wrong as well. But I think we need to understand that Russia poses a major threat to world order. And however this resolves itself, it has to resolve itself If Putin retains power, he has to retain power in a greatly diminished state. Or maybe the best case scenario is, again, the Russian people rise up and depose him, and you can get to more normalized relations. But just looking at the pictures of this little boy with all his belongings, you know, in a knapsack, it just really, really registered to me about how evil some people are and how evil Russia is with what it is that they are doing. All right, so President Biden has the news conference today. He finally bows to public pressure. He's getting pressure from Republicans and Democrats to call off oil imports. Now, we, in the United States, we import almost no gasoline from Russia, and we import about, what, 3% of our our oil. So 3% of oil, almost no gas from Russia. We represent about 5% of Russia's exports. So it's not a huge amount one way or the other. At the same time, it is, you know, 5% of Russian exports. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think, number one, President Biden is doing absolutely the right thing. I could argue that we should have done it a week ago, but I think cutting off the the Russia from the U.S. market is the appropriate thing to do. Correspondingly, I think the president needs to do everything he possibly can to encourage increased production of oil 
here in the United States. Part of that would be immediately, I think, lifting the hold that they have on the Keystone Pipeline so we can continue to make it easier and faster to get oil into the United States. He needs to encourage drilling. I know he said, well, there's all these thousands of leases that are out there that the oil companies aren't drilling on. Well, we don't know that all those have oil. But nevertheless, I think he needs to use his leverage to encourage the oil companies to start drilling so that, number one, we can not only deal with any shortages our our failure to import stuff from Russia causes. But secondly, maybe we can start to become more of an energy producer. Europe can't do what we are doing right now because Europe still gets a lot of its gas and its oil from Russia. But the more production we can have in the U.S., maybe we can pick up some of the slack. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Was Biden right to say we're not going to import any more Russian oil? My answer is, this is an easy one, the answer is yes. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think the president was absolutely right this morning, mark the tape, to say we're, we're no longer going to deal with Russian when it came comes to oil. I think correspondingly, though, what he needs to also do is to do everything he possibly can to increase domestic production. Now, I understand that that's going to put him on the wrong side of some of the you know, climate change hawks who, who just can't stand fossil fuels. But the reality of this is wherever, whatever you think about electric cars and electric in the future, that's way in the future. That's 10 years. That's 15 years down the road. Right now, we have an immediate crisis, and what we need to do is increase domestic oil and gas production not only to meet demand in this country, but also possibly to become an exporter to other nations. Because the truth is, you know, Europe, whereas we get only 3% of our of our oil from Russia, you know, Europe might be getting 30% in some countries. So it's much more difficult for them to completely turn off the spigot. But if we want to shut off the gas station that is the evil empire, and that's what it is, Ronald Reagan was right. Anybody who disagrees with that just look at the humanitarian crisis that is being caused in Ukraine today. These people are evil. Vladimir Putin is evil. When you throw bombs indiscriminately into cities, when you, I don't know, bomb humanitarian, you set up humanitarian evacuation areas and then use military force to uh, again prevent people from going out that way, these are evil people and it needs to be denounced. 855-616-1620. Jeff, while this was completely appropriate, um, I blame Putin for high, to blame Putin for high American gas prices is a dodge. Yes, that, that, that's, that is absolutely and totally correct. What's going on when it comes to energy costs, it, it's much more complicated than just Putin. That's why I'm saying we need a change in our energy policy to encourage us to drill baby drill short term. If you want to talk about the electricity and stuff and you want to figure out how to generate power to supply the grid and get everybody into electric cars in the next 15 years, that's fine. But we have a crisis right now that you need to deal with. Gianni and Montello. Gianni, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, hey, listen, um, before I get to your, your question, um, you are spot on. Your opening monologue this morning was spot on. I, I agree with you, and I think probably most of our listeners agree with you. So thanks for, for thanks. giving us this great. He's evil. He's evil, Gianni. 
mentioned. But listen, um, Putin is evil, but Putin is 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 um, he, he has conscripted um, the Red Army, and they are also culpable. The the men that are going in and dropping these bombs on uh, these rockets on on, on civilian um, buildings, they are just as culpable as Putin. So let me just add that. But as far as um, uh, it, it, our energy production, yes, uh, I support Biden. He's two weeks too late, but uh, we need to get Canada, the whole Western Hemisphere, including Venezuela, um, to to and Saudis to produce oil to to shut off the the Russian spigot and bankrupt that company that country as soon as possible as yeah. soon as possible yeah no thanks for called Gianni no you see I'm with see this is this is out of times of great adversity come times of great opportunity and, and by that I mean I, I want to just bootstrap on something Gianni was saying this is a chance for the U.S and the free world to provide genuine leadership because you are seeing evil play out. And I understand for people who are maybe uncomfortable with, with couching what is going on in Ukraine as a war of good and evil. Well, okay, just just look at the refugees. Look at the humanitarian toll and think of, of the purpose of this. This is a war of conquest. And, and, yes, the people who are carrying it out are evil. I have no problem saying that. So this is an opportunity maybe to go to other nations that weren't really convinced that Russia was what Russia is. In other words, this evil empire. And it's an opportunity to say, look, you, you have a, stand, a chance right now to, to stand up with the world community. And, and yes, if you're the Arab nations and you're OPEC, what you say is we need you to increase production. So you increase production, it, it then diminishes the impact that, again, Europe, Europe can then stop cutting back on the Russian production. You can choke these monsters off you know, economically. And it, it's something that arguably we should have been doing for years. But we, we didn't. So that's not the situation. Okay, here we are. We're sitting here. It's, you know, Tuesday, March 8th, 2022. Where do you go from here? It is an opportunity maybe to unite the world against what is going on here and maybe cripple Russia once and for all, at least to the point of being able to pursue a, a regime change, which may be, you know, how this is. Um, Jeff, how, how is it that all of us unwashed common folk know what the answer is to Russia, but the government hasn't figured it out yet? What we need to do is produce oil. Well, well, yeah, produce oil, and, and we have the availability to do that. But, you know, you need to encourage it. There needs to be financial incentives to this. We need to have the government working with the private sector to produce the oil, not and, and then, again, allow it to be transported, a la like the Keystone Pipeline and things you know, like that. Jeff, I don't disagree, but we did the embargo to the Empire of Japan, and they felt corner, and then they attacked Pearl Harbor. I, I, okay, what more do you think, what more do you think Russia is going to do? I, I mean, at this point in time, you have the, the Russian dictator who has threatened to use nuclear war. He is lobbing bombs 
killing civilians in the city. He's increasingly frustrated because I think they thought this was going to be a military walkover, and it wasn't. So if the choice is, gee, we're afraid that Vladimir Putin might not like us if we tighten the screws, okay, or maybe this is an opportunity to get him deposed. Maybe this is an opportunity to defang this Russian bear once and for all. I I say you take it. Now, look, I'm not talking about no-fly zones. I don't think, because that's where you get into a shooting war. If Vladimir Putin becomes cornered and feels that he has to lash out in some way, that just serves to further isolate, you know, the Soviet Union, even China. Even China, I don't think wants any part of what is going on now. China wants to be seen as, I I think, a trade partner for the rest of the free world. I don't think China wants to be, I, I don't care what the state government says. I don't think China wants to be in bed with Vladimir Putin. And the more this humanitarian crisis wor- crisis worsens, and I'm afraid it is going to get worse before it gets better. I mean, already you have two million refugees that are streaming across the Polish border. I'm afraid it's going to get worse, not better. But I don't think Ukraine is surrendering. I mean, I think Ukraine is going to continue to resist. It's a country of 40 million people. How do you subjugate it? So even if you move tanks into Kiev, for example, I think you're going to be looking at street-by-street fighting. This conflict, this war, has the potential to go on for a long time, but the more pressure you can put on Putin, making it impossible for him to fuel that army, the better. But yeah, this is one of those times, 9-11 was one as well, you have a war between good and and evil. And maybe I'm naive, but I like to think that at the end, good wins. It's uh, Let's take a quick break. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'm not going to bury the lead on this one. Get out a mop. My head is about to explode. There is absolutely no reason in God's green earth why Wisconsin clerk of courts should not be allowed to pre-process ballots in connection with the election. And yet, this Republican-controlled Senate has apparently killed a bill, and we're going to go through another election cycle where it looks like we're going to have these late-night ballot dumps. Now, Now, hear me out. Wisconsin is one of only four states that does not allow election clerks to pre-process ballots. What what is what is pre-process absentee ballots until election day? So what does pre-processing mean? Well, it covers a range of things including maybe opening the envelopes, fixing damaged ballots and most importantly feeding them through tabulator machines. Not not tabulating the votes, just sticking them in. Now, let me back up here for a second. Maybe this wasn't a big deal or wouldn't have been a big deal 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but one of the things that we see now is more and more people vote via absentee ballot. They vote early, whether it's sending the ballots in through the mail or voting early in person. So that that's in, in some some jurisdictions around, you, you have, what, 50% of the ballots. So maybe 15 years ago, if there was 
I don't know, only two or three or five percent of the votes that were absentee. It, it, it might not have been that big a deal. You wait till election day, and then because it's only about five percent, you know, when things get slow, you open up the ballots, you feed them into the machines. It, it's no big deal. Well, nowadays, that's not how people vote. People vote early. You can argue whether they should or not, but they do. So people vote early. So what happens is, particularly in some of the larger urban, in terms about the urban areas in general, what happens is you get thousands and thousands and thousands of absentee ballots that come in prior to Election Day that are there waiting to be processed. But because of Wisconsin law, the people in the clerk's office can't do anything with them until election day dawns well the problem with that is you've got these clerks that and the volunteers and everybody that are running the elections during the day you got people coming into the polls constantly so they're spending all their time by and large you know handling the people who are voting in person which means all right the polls close you've got a stack of thousands and thousands and thousands of absentee ballots that need to be opened and processed and thrown through the tabulator machines. This is why in Milwaukee in particular, but also in Dane County, this is why the the vote totals come in late. And what happens is, and it happened in the Evers-Walker election, people go to bed thinking Scott Walker has won because Scott Walker is ahead by thousands and thousands of votes. Well, the problem is, all these votes from the city of Milwaukee have not been tabulated yet. And they come in, and they're about 80, 20 um, Tony Evers, and there's enough to overcome any lead Walker has. And so people go to bed thinking Scott Walker's the governor. They, they wake up, and they find out that, no, Tony Evers had won. And then you have all these people going, well, wait a second. How could this possibly have been? When we went to sleep, Walker was ahead by tens of thousands of votes. And then you get this ballot dump. That's the phrase they use, a ballot dump from Milwaukee. Well, it's not a ballot dump. It's just the fact that these ballots are sitting there, but physically they cannot be, it takes too long to process them. This, you know, I, I understand that there's, there's things about election fraud and integrity. There's some stuff that's hard, and in my opinion, there's some stuff that's easy. And, and this, this is easy. There is no way that clerks should not, like they are in almost every jurisdiction in this country, allowed to process the ballots in advance. If something comes in, you know, three or four days in advance, there's no reason why the day before the election, for example, the clerk shouldn't be able to. And, and you can have you can have witnesses, you can have observers open it and feed those things into the machine. I'm not talking about hitting the button that tabulates it, so you know how many votes, etc. Even though the political scientists can pretty much tell, you know, from where an area is based on you know historical trends. This is an area that tends to be 60% Republican or 60% Democrat or whatever. But there's no reason why in advance of Election Day, when these things come in under secured circumstances with appropriate observers, they shouldn't be able to do what they do on Election Day now. And yet, yet apparently the state Senate has decided they're not going to take up this legislation because... 
Well, it's basically Donald Trump and some of the Trump supporters don't want it because they're screaming, well, this has the potential for some sort of election fraud. But at the same time, these are the people that are also complaining about all of a sudden we think Trump won Wisconsin and then you get 140,000 votes that just mysteriously appear. Well, no, they didn't mysteriously appear. They were always there. They just weren't able to be counted in a timely fashion. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, again, I understand some election issues are truly complicated and some are just so darn simple. And to me, th- this is just so darn simple. Lucy on the west side. Lucy, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi there. I opened up my paper this morning and I was just furious. This is the one thing that I thought most or 99% of reasonable people could agree on. But I think you're being too kind to the Republicans. I think they wanted to kill this because they want to preserve the ability to cry fraud and scream chicanery uh, a la Trump and his folks in 2020. They don't want this to be solved. They don't really want fair and transparent elections. We had one. Um, what they want is the ability to preserve their claims of fraud in case they lose. And there's just no reason for this. And for those poor poll workers that have to sit there all night, I've got a couple of friends that went to, that worked at Central Count in the last election. This is not a good way to run anything. No. And they had a simple solution in front of them, and they just it, it's the height of partisan cynicism. Well, you know, it's interesting, Lucy, because I, 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 the thing I agree, you cannot have it both ways. For example, Rudy Giuliani, after the, the last election, he says, well, in Wisconsin, mysteriously, four in the morning, 120,000 ballots appeared. Here here come these ballots. Well, no, they were all, you, you can't have it both ways. You right. can't say, oh, we've got this ballot dump, but then not do things to allow people to process the ballots in a timely fashion. And I guess I just, I don't see the, the security risk. You, you put in, you put in safeguards. You have observers you have the clerks and if 46 other states can do it why is it that we can't do it in wisconsin he asked rhetorically right interestingly a friend of mine on the left brought that up well i don't know if i trust that they wouldn't leak the results and as i said i think they've got the security to stop that i don't think it would happen i think it's a it's a false it's yeah. a false fear so, yeah. There we no, go. Thanks for the call. No, I think so. Well, and also, I, I mean, I'm not arguing that you tabulate the the numbers. I'm I'm saying you you, you feed the ballots in. Okay, that they don't. You know, you have to do something else to tabulate the the numbers. I'm not saying you you tab you you, you know, get the count so you have an ongoing total. So two days beforehand or a day beforehand, if you're going to start this process, you know who's ahead and who's behind. I, I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying you process them, you pre-process them, you feed them in. That that's different than than tabulating them. And again, if the concern is we we need to have security to make sure the results don't leak or something well I, I I'm confident that you could come up with that but we, we can't complain about ballot dumps and, and hundreds of thousands of votes appearing and you, you mean you want to talk about something that to me does create sort of a, a distrust in in the electoral system it is stuff like this where you think one side's won and then all of a sudden you get all these other votes well those votes have always been there that that's just the reality they just haven't been counted in a timely fashion this is something simple that lets you count the votes Kevin in Milwaukee Kevin you're on WTMJ Hey, um, Hi, Kevin. I think for some people after um, 2020, I think it's just, you know, mail-in ballot equals fraud. Um, so 
you know, they're just opposed to it in general. Personally, I would prefer if we just sent mail-in ballots to everybody and then everyone's getting the same ballot and then uh, we don't have to quite deal with the uh, tension of election night counting until midnight. We would just know pretty soon after the polls close. Yeah, th- thanks for calling. Well, I mean, I, I'm not, I, I'm not, I, look, I, I, I like to go in and vote in person. Now, I, I early in person vote most of the times now, so I, I, I still, I, I like to do that. That That's how I do it, and I, I think we should always give people that option. And I know that there are people out there who, who don't, who, to, what you said is exactly right. They look at it, and their basic premise is absentee voting equals fraud even though the truth of the matter is that there's no evidence that supports that in any sort of substantial way. But but the other reality is early voting, absentee voting, whatever you want to call it, that's not going away. It's not going away in Wisconsin. It's not going away anywhere in the United States because I, people feel that it, it is a convenience, that that's just the reality. And maybe people want to go back to the horse and buggy days where everybody got together and physically showed up at the polls, but that's not where we are. And you're, you're swimming upstream if you're going to argue, well, you know, we, we shouldn't have absentee ballots. That, that's just not going to happen. I live in this place called called the real world, and all I'm saying is if we want to inspire election confidence, there's some stuff that is difficult, and there's some stuff that I think reasonable people can argue about. Does this unreasonably open the door to fraud or not? But allowing certified clerks to process absentee ballots as they come in or even a day or two before the election, if that's the thing, so you can get the darn stuff, you can get the ballots the opened, you can get them fed through the machine so they're ready when you hit that button to start doing the tabulation as opposed to having you know tens and tens of thousands of these things having to be counted at the middle of the night. And, and yeah, somebody said to me, well, you know, I, I want this stuff to be accurate, not necessarily fast. Well, okay, I can make an argument that you're much likely to have an accurate fair account if, you know, you're able to do it in a reasonably a uh, reasonable period as opposed to, hey, we've been working at the polls since 7 o'clock in the morning. It's now 10 o'clock at night, and we got to figure out a way to find and count all these ballots. Wouldn't it make more sense to process stuff as it comes in? Th- this, to me, was an absolute no-brainer. It's something that Republicans and Democrats should have agreed to, but apparently we can't agree about anything. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Ridgetop Exteriors. With over 20 years in business, contact Ridgetop Exteriors today to build, to improve, or to repair your home. Get the Ridgetop Advantage today and call 414-244-9416 or visit them at RidgetopExteriorsMKE.com. Coming up um, about 15 minutes or so from now, we're going to, kind of move off the the world events and stuff we are going to talk about Aaron Rodgers a little bit later but I'm going to be joined by the president boys basket and boys basketball coach from St. Thomas More High School we discussed this situation yesterday briefly and I've I've they, they reached out, and he wants to come on the air. If you haven't been following this, Thomas Moore, very, very successful basketball team this year. 
they were involved in a game on Friday night that they were ahead by 30 points with a minute left. At the end, with about a minute left, there was an incident. Fight broke out. bunch of fans bum-rushed the court. And the WIAA, in its infinite wisdom, ended up suspending all the Thomas More players. And as a result, they ended up forfeiting the next. They weren't. They wouldn't be able to play the next day. So that resulted in a forfeit, which deprived the team of the ability to go to the state tournament. Um, as with a lot of WIAA procedures, this one might have been a little bit short of fundamental fairness. And we're going to talk about that with the president, and the boys' basketball coach, coming up in just a few minutes. You know, I, I talk a lot about you know crime on this program and the out of control things, and in, in the mean streets in Milwaukee, there appears to be no let up in what can in fact get stolen. I I, I admit I, I look at the motor vehicle numbers because last year almost ten thousand five hundred cars stolen, approximately the same amount of cars stolen in Milwaukee as were stolen in Chicago. And Chicago is, of course, five times larger than Milwaukee. So you know, just think about that. There's an average of about 25 to 26 cars a day stolen on the mean streets of Milwaukee. And that number, as bad as it was last year, you know, we're still, I'm looking at the numbers, and uh, this year, same time, so apples to apples, there's been about 70 more cars stolen this year than last year in an all-time record. So we're, whatever we're doing is not is not working. So you've got the car theft that's going on, and as we talk about frequently, that this is, it's not a victimless crime, despite the way the the court system and the DA's office might look at it. It's a big deal when people come out and find their cars gone, and I know one of the things that's happening is a lot of people are simply making the choice, they're not driving into Milwaukee anymore because they don't want to take that risk. One, you know, 25 or 26 cars stolen a day. But it's not just cars that end up getting stolen. Our very own Melissa Barkley, had, had a report the, the other day. Apparently around here, people will steal absolutely anything. Now, we, we know, for example, catalytic converters get, get stolen. I, I have friends of mine who live in Menominee Falls, and they have, I don't think they'd be offended if I said it, it's, it's an old van. Okay, it is an old van. It's in their driveway. Hey, they, somebody, somebody in the middle of the night stole the catalytic converter. I mean, so, I mean, it, it, it's not just the cars themselves that get stolen. It's moving parts. Anything that's on the cars could be stolen. Melissa Barkley had a report. High-end dogs are now being targeted by thieves. And she talked about a Milwaukee woman who had two American uh, bully puppies stolen from her home last week. Apparently, the puppies were eight weeks old and were some stolen by somebody who broke into her home with a gun. She's offering a reward. But what they're saying is that apparently this is the latest thing. High-end dog breeds are being targeted by thieves only to then be sold for top dollar on the side. They say there's a high demand for French bulldogs, English bulldogs, poodle mixes. Um, when you're getting one of these dogs from a breeder, you can pay upwards of $1,000 to, to $5,000. So, I mean, if yeah, if, if you want like a purebred, one of these high-end puppies, you know, you'll be prepared to pay for that. So apparently, th- this is now the latest thing, that you've got you know these thieves that will go in and they're looking to steal expensive breeds of dogs. Now, first of all, there is a special spot in you-know-where for somebody who would steal somebody's pet. All right. 
Secondly, there is an equally special spot in you know where for somebody who know hey, this is a purebred poodle or whatever. This is a purebred whatever, and I know that the cost of this purebred puppy is going to be, it should be $2,000. I've got some guy selling it to me out of an alley, offering it to me for 50 bucks or 100 bucks. You buy that, you know that you are purchasing a, a stolen dog, and, and shame on you. And so now, now it's gotten so bad that now we have to tell people the things you have to do. Never leave your dog alone. Always keep your eye on your pet, even if the pet is in your yard and it's fenced in. Have your pet microchipped so you can prove that, you know, if you could ever recover it. But the bottom line is, nowadays, welcome to 2022, people will steal absolutely anything. So think of that before you leave your dog out in the yard, because somebody, just like they're waiting to steal your car, they might be waiting to steal your dog. It's a heck of a world. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. We talked about this during a segment yesterday, and the more information I get, the more convinced I become that there is a huge injustice being done to a local high school boys basketball team. And to further that conversation we're joined right now by john hoke who is the head basketball coach and the president at st thomas moore high school uh, mr hoke good afternoon hi jeff thanks thanks for having me on i heard your news report it sounds like a great day for aaron Rodgers. <laughs> yeah, that, that's for sure okay john let me set this let me set the stage for this thomas moore high school very successful season 22 and 3 Last Friday night, you are playing in the um, like the, I call it like the regional semifinals. The team that Correct. wins Friday plays on Saturday night. That team wins, goes to the state. You're playing a team from Howard Fuller Collegiate Academy. With a minute left, your team, Thomas Moore, is ahead by 30 points. So for all intents and purposes, the the game is really over. You have pulled your starters, and you're trying to run out the clock. Okay, yep. what happens? Tell me what happens then. Right, um, so uh, it's 44 seconds to go, and our players, is um, you were trying to run the clock out, and he falls to the ground and kind of throws the ball toward his uh, teammate, and a player from Fuller walks over him, and then as they get up, um, our teammate made the first con- uh, our, our player made the first contact and uh, pushed him, and he turned around, the player who walked over him, um, Pushed back, and um, at that point in time, um, uh, you can see uh, the person, the, the the next person closest to them is me, and um, I'm at because it's right in front of our bench, and I'm yelling at the referee, I'm I'm screaming at him to uh, uh, blow the whistle and and call a technical, you know, and and I'm, I'm what I'm hoping for is that he's going to blow his whistle and come between the two players as you normally see and and blow and signal for a technical foul and point to either one or both of the players. And um that didn't happen. It wasn't happening and you could see it was starting to something was going to start to happen so I stepped on the court to try to um get between the two and just as I was stepping on the court you saw a large out of the left corner of my eye a large contingent of of um players from the other team coaches and then um their fans heading toward that area toward our 
uh, where our bench is in that side of the court. And, um, and so, I mean, I, I've seen the videotape. So at, yeah. at this point, it, it's the two players, your player and a player from the other team, and they're kind right. of getting into it. Right. The referee doesn't blow his whistle. You try to break this thing up, and then all of a sudden it looks to me like the court is being bum-rushed by all these people from the stands. They're coming at you and your team, and all the players on the other team are coming at, at you and your team. Okay. Yeah, correct. Yes, and then, um, you know, it really kind of got out of hand that at that point in time, and um, um, there was um, a lot of punches thrown, and um, eventually, you know, some of our guys were pinned up against the wall, and uh, we eventually got our guys into the hallway that's right near that wall. Um, that's not the normal way to go down the locker room, and then we, we went down a back stairway down to the locker room and kind of locked ourselves in there until uh, the police arrived and we, we went back up at that point in time. Now you say punches were thrown. I, I, I've seen the videotape. Your, your kids aren't throwing punches, are they? So we went frame by frame and uh, it, was good, it was very important to us in our school to make sure that none of our players threw any punches and, and I 100% confirmed that uh, not one of our players threw a punch uh, during this altercation. Okay, now WIAA rules say that players are not allowed to leave the, the bench, that, and right. that the penalty for that is a forfeiture. Um, did, did your kids leave the bench, and if so, why, should, why shouldn't they be suspended for a game? Well, well first of all, procedurally, um, it, was, it was incorrect on about half the players. So um, you had the five players on the court, but yet they were assessed uh, that, that penalty, because even though they were already on the court for the game, you had one player that was home ill, and he was assessed that as well and suspended. Player that was home game. ill was a player that was home wasn't even there was was right. assessed the penalty. Co- okay, correct. Yes, because the because the officials report at least I've been told by the WIAA, which we have not received a copy of the officials report, said that all of our roster players received that same penalty. And then you, if, when you watch the video, there are one and maybe two players that ne- that never leave the bench. I think one for sure. And then the rest, though, um, as you can see on the video, is they're, they're not going to engage. They're literally trying to uh, grab their teammates and, and head out of there um, and get out of the situation because what you can't, what, what we can see, what you can't see in the video right away, but we can see um, a large group of people um, coming toward us in, a, in an aggressive manner. Well, I guess that that's what kind of struck me from what I saw, and I, I start to wonder what what the basketball team is supposed to do when you have it being rushed by uh, fans from the other team who there's must be very little security. So now they're all running on the court, looking like they're going to do. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering what the what the kids on your team are supposed to do? Just sit on the bench and be pummeled by by the opposing team's fans? Well, we did we did ask that um, on Saturday when we were kind of going back and forth. Um, and I, I was able to have one phone call um, for a couple of minutes, and I asked them to please watch this video because these are extenuating circumstances. Because I think our, I think we would have been in more harm's way had we just all sat on the bench and and did nothing. I think that it could have gotten a lot uglier. I think that we had no choice to do but what but what we did. And I think in every other situation, if this happened to twenty more times, I think we'd have to. You know, um, we do the same thing. Now, obviously, 20 more times, if this were to happen again, um, we'd probably have beefed up security. I mean, this has never really happened in the history of our school at a, at a, at a basketball game before. Well, I guess one of the things that strikes me about 
it, it, sort of fundamentally unfair about this is that this is it's it's the the regional semifinal. It's effectively whoever loses is goes home. So from your perspective, uh, an incident that kind of got out of hand and it was made a lot worse by players from the other team and the fans has now resulted in your your season ending. I, it, it just I, I think you do you have some issues with the fundamental fairness of this. Well, I mean, I think I have fundamental issues with, um, you know, nobody can tell us what we should have done that would have been in a, a better situation. You know, what, 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 what they tell us to remain on the bench, but it, I don't think that that was really an option. So that kind of, that seems a, a little unfair. But yes, um, um, the idea that we were going to advance, and um, it, it, it seems like uh, both teams received the same. Um, it, I was told that both players, all players from both teams, the result was that they were suspended for the next game, but um, only one team was going to to advance. Right. So really, um, that that seems kind of um, only seems like only one team's really being uh, punished for this. What is the WIAA telling you about why they imposed this penalty? What, was there? Did you have an opportunity to have a hearing? Uh, we did not have a hearing. In fact, we we uh, filed for uh, an a. Uh, uh, we filed a, uh, for a request for an appeal, and uh, we found out um, today that uh, they they are not going to al- allow an appeal to be heard. It won't be brought to the board of control. They they were they met today coincidentally, and that's what we were hoping for. But they are not going to do it. And then um, so um, yeah, that's that's kind of it, it, it's it's a situation where we we kept asking them. They kept bringing up the fact of the NFHS rule where you leave the 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 um, benches and per the officials report it said that all players left the bench so they're all suspended and they were not going to they were not going to overrule an officials report and um, w- was not going to um, um, look at a video to 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 uh, maybe uh, make a change to that now of course this all starts because the official that doesn't get between the two kids in the first place and, and try to de-escalate the situation. Uh, and, that, and then it just kind of all goes downhill from there. I really feel badly about saying that because I've been doing this for a long time and I feel I have a great relationship with officials. I have great respect for officials and I think it's a thankless job. It's a, it, it's, uh, we're actually have a, uh, an official shortage right now uh, because it's such a difficult job and people are on them all the time. And I, I feel like I've developed good relationships with officials um that and so i feel badly about saying that but yeah i think i think it could have been de-escalated if uh someone just if one of the officials had just stepped in and which i've seen countless times in in all my years um let's be honest in sports it's highly emotional and you have situations where a player will push another player and what happens is it's just standard operating procedure you'll see that official run toward it Blow their whistle, have their hand up, go be, uh, get between them, and then they signal a technical foul and then point to either one or both players. Okay, so um, Thomas Moore, you you ended up not playing the play because you didn't have enough players to to participate. So you ended up not playing on Saturday night. The, the state tournament is of course coming up. The WIA has denied your appeal. D- does it end here? Well, I uh, in fact. Uh, Jeff, now that now that they would not hear our appeal, um, we only have one more um, opportunity to to basically the only one thing left we can do. So, I think shortly after I'm off the phone with you, actually, I have another um, um, discussion with um, attorneys to decide if we would take a court of uh, any course of action in the courts. 
Right. So because it re- really you're at the point now where your, your only remedy would be to see if you could get, I presume, an injunction, uh, yes. of getting an, an order allowing you to participate. But, of course, this, this has become a mess anyways because the the other team, the team that you were supposed to play on Saturday night, um, you know, they they got to forfeit, so presumably they're planning for the first round of the this Division Three boys basketball tournament yes. already. Yes, and that, that that's not it, it's really unfair to Brown Deer as well. And um, the other kind of interesting kink that came out of this is this that that game is supposed to happen Thursday, and it, uh, I was told this morning that the WI moved it to um, tomorrow, Wednesday. So it's got moved up a game. Um, that seemed to happen either late last night or early this morning. So time is even worse right now. You know, and I, I don't know what Jose at Brown Deer is thinking right now, the coach over there, uh, that, uh, you know, are we playing Thomas Moore uh, tomorrow? Are we playing Dominican? What, are we playing Wednesday, Thursday? It's really, I feel very badly for uh, Brown Deer and, and Dominican as well in this situation. Um, well, I, I, you know, John, I, this, we all, I think everybody – Appreciates that the, the purpose of, of high school sports is you want to you want to encourage sportsmanship and you want to build character and young people and things like this. And I understand also that rules are rules, but sometimes it seems to me that you have to be able to look at beyond the rules and say, yes, okay, you're not supposed to leave the bench, but what are the kids supposed to do when they're being bum rushed by a whole bunch of people? Just just stand there makes no sense to me. I, I've asked that same question many times, and I, I don't know what that answer is. And, um, you know, sometimes you think, well, should we just let this go? But, I mean, I just – this just doesn't feel right like this. Um, it, 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 it feels like um, uh, this was just not a right thing that happened to our guys, and I think I, I don't know if I could uh, look at myself in the mirror if, if we just didn't do anything and just accepted it. John Hoke, president of Thomas Moore High School, as well as boys basketball coach. Thanks for spending some time with me this afternoon. I, I do appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Wagner. I appreciate you letting me ha- uh, letting me be on. Okay, take care. I appreciate it. That's I, I, you know we we talked a little bit about this yesterday, and <clears throat> my general sense was, as often happens with the WIAA, that they have this obsession with with rules are rules well you we we don't want to have fights on basketball courts so you don't want players leaving the bench everybody understands that but then it is this inability to apply common sense to the rules and, and look at what's happening and and here you have a game where the team is ahead by 30 points you've got the other team that is being aggressive and I, I think you know clearly if we were talking about you know the, the one Thomas Moore player who got into the altercation being suspended that I don't think there'd be any argument about that because there was this confrontation but the coaches he's told well you're not supposed to leave the bench he's clearly there trying to break up the fight and then you have inadequate security so the floor is being rushed the kids are being menaced and the WIA says, well, we're not going to allow a team that was 22-3 and three to be able to continue in the playoffs uh, because we're going to suspend them all, despite the fact that, you know, they, they were ahead by 30 points with a minute left. Sounds like another one of these situations that happens all the time with the WIAA, where I'm a little bit short on common sense. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I have the 
I have the, the paperwork that was submitted to the WIAA by the attorney for Thomas Moore, and here's a couple paragraphs that I, I couldn't agree more with. This is what they write. There's no question rules have consequences, but rules and their consequences must be drafted in a way to encourage certain behaviors. Watching the video and the conduct of the St. Thomas Moore players, we would ask the WIAA Board of Control, what would you have those players do in that situation? We agree that player 21 initiated contact with a fuller player and should be punished accordingly, but the coach left the bench in an attempt to end the altercation. This is permitted under the rules. Likewise, the St. Thomas Moore players only entered the court initially to restrain player 21 and thereafter to get away from the fuller crowd. What else would you have them do? Moreover, as set forth above, the other four St. Thomas Moore players who were actively in the game remained on the court and moved far away as possible from the altercation. At no time did they engage in any fight. What else would you have them do? Upon information and belief, this is the third fight this season involving Fuller. List the private fights. With less than a minute left in the game, both the player, Fuller players and their fans stormed the court. The video is clear. Once on the court, Fuller players and their fans start throwing punches. It's equally clear St. Thomas Moore players were retreating during the altercation. By disqualifying Thomas Moore, the WIAA is setting a precedent for a school to be rewarded for bad behavior by being able to knock the number one seed out of the tournament. All those are very, very valid points in connection with this. And once again, you've got the WIA that apparently didn't even want to look at the, the video. Now, I don't know whether they're going to decide it's worth filing a lawsuit and trying to get an injunction. Jeff, after I saw the video, my opinion has changed completely. No way Thomas Moore deserved the punishment they received. Yep, but we're dealing with the WIAA. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, I, I know that the world is on fire. I, I understand that there's 2 million refugees from Ukraine. I understand that gas prices are going through the roof. I understand that the stock market, well, it cratered yesterday. Today, um, it, it was down a couple hundred. Then it was up like 500. Now it's up 74 so or, or thereabouts. So it, it's stock market is bouncing all over. So I understand there's a lot of significant things going on in, in the world. Um, that, that we all have to deal with. But then, of course, I also understand that the big news today is our, our long statewide nightmare is over. Packers fans rejoice because Aaron Rodgers has decided to come back to the Green Bay Packers. The reports, and we don't have all the details of this, is that they're signing him to a four-year, $200 million contract, makes him the highest-paid player in NFL history. He reportedly will get a guaranteed $153 million. And I I, I don't claim to understand all the nuances of, of the salary cap, but actually, apparently, they can structure the deal in a way that this year, if he played, his salary cap number was like $46 million. Um, apparently, by doing it this way, they're going to be able to lower that. I don't know how much they're going to lower it. They still have a lot of other issues with the salary cap. But the bottom line is Aaron Rodgers is, in fact, coming back. Now, at the same time, Aaron Rodgers is coming back. You have to look at, I think, oppor- what I would call opportunity cost. And the, the Denver Broncos wanted Aaron Rodgers in the worst way. Once they were unable to get Aaron Rodgers, they have arranged, and this is the other breaking news today, they have arranged a trade for with the Seattle Seahawks for Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson, who had that one great year when he played at the University of Wisconsin. All right, now here's what Denver is giving to the Seahawks 
to get Russell Wilson. Now, I bring this up only because if Denver's willing to trade this to get Russell Wilson, you have to expect that they would have been willing to give even more, perhaps, to get Aaron Rodgers because Russell Wilson's a little bit younger, but he's he's not Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so the Denver Broncos are giving Seattle, in exchange for Russell Wilson, they're trading quarterback Drew Locke, their tight end, Noah Fant, who was their number one draft pick two years ago, defensive lineman Shelby Harris, and multiple draft picks. And apparently the multiple draft picks involve two first-round picks, a second-round pick, and I believe a Two second-round picks and two first-round picks, I, I believe. I could have the minor ones wrong, but definitely two first-round picks, three other players, and then a couple later on. So that's what you know. Denver was willing to give up to, to bring Russell Wilson in, and it's what the Packers were willing to forego to you know bring Aaron Rodgers back and have him presumably finish his career, whether it's two years from now or three years from now, or four years from now, probably unlikely that it would go that far. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, did the Packers do the right thing by investing all the, this money to bring 38, 39-year-old Aaron Rodgers, who's been decidedly on the fence about whether he wanted to play or not, did they do the right thing by bringing him back to Green Bay for one more or two more runs at the Super Bowl that have by and large eluded the Packers over the course of the last 10 or 15 years, with the exception of the one year? 855-616-1620. Should they have brought him back, or should they have tried to cut like a deal with somebody like the Broncos to get multiple players, multiple draft picks, and then move on. 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so the, the dominoes fall today. Aaron Rodgers, after, you know, a, after a year and a half, really, of kind of will he or won't he come back to play after statements last week saying he's really torn about whether, you know, where he wants to play, announced today that, I, I guess, essentially that, that money cures all, all concerns. Packers are going to throw a $200 million contract at Aaron Rodgers. He, $153 million guaranteed, at least that's the report. So he comes back to the Packers, presumably will finish his career as a Green Bay Packer. Now, Denver, which had always been one of the teams that was probably the team that was most likely to have gone after Rodgers in a trade, shortly after the Packers announced that Rodgers is coming back, and and there's no question in my mind that the timing, this, this had to be linked. Once the Broncos learned that they can't get Aaron Rodgers, they make a trade with Seattle for Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, an accomplished quarterback, but he's not Aaron Rodgers. This is what Denver is giving Seattle in exchange for Russell Wilson. Two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a fifth-round pick, Drew Locke, who was their starting quarterback, tight end Noah Font, who was their number one draft pick two years ago, and defensive lineman Shelby Harris. So three players, um, two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a fifth-round pick in exchange for Russell Wilson and for a fourth-round pick. So that, that's 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 the deal as it's reported. Um, my point would be if the Packers had wanted to make a trade, they could have, I'm sure, at least gotten that and maybe more. So the question is, did they do the right thing 
in, did they do the right thing by bringing back Aaron Rodgers? Are you glad he's coming back? 855-616-1620. Um, let's start. Jeff, of course, the pa- this is Laura in Las Vegas. Of course the Packers made the right decision to bring him back. Now we don't have to worry about being the basement dwellers in the division. That will still be the Lions and the Bears. Well, I mean, assuming he doesn't get hurt, yeah, for the next, you know, and his his play doesn't drop off dramatically, and it certainly didn't from, you know, two years ago to last year. But at the same time, typically when you're talking about professional athletes, even freak of nature political uh, uh, professional athletes, and Aaron Rodgers, I mean, he's just, his longevity is incredible. There's not many quarterbacks that play at his level at 37, 38, 39 years old. But at the same time, there's always, you, you do, there tends to be the certain point where you just kind of hit hit a cliff, and you know you are assuming for the next couple of years that he's going to be able to maintain that high level. Jeff, I think they should have cut ties with Aaron Rodgers. With that salary, they'll not be able to get anyone else of substance for a team that will help him to win the Super Bowl. At least if they would have traded him, they would have gotten future draft picks and some current good players. Yeah, I mean, now draft picks are always great until you use them, and then you find out how they are. With Aaron Rodgers, you've got a known commodity. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I know I'm going to be in the minority here, but I've always liked Drew Locke. He's tall, strong-armed quarterback. I thought he would have fit in great in the Green Bay offense and might have been the change that he really, really needed to achieve the potential he has. So maybe Green Bay missed the chance here. I don't know. Time will tell. Between the Denver Broncos and the Seattle Seahawks, one are going to be the Detroit Lions and one are going to be the L.A. Rams time will tell. Jeff, the Packers could have gotten half the Bronco team for Rodgers if they gave up what they gave up for Wilson. Jeff, I'm glad he's coming back as long as he leaves the crazy at the door. That's, well, that's, I think, a a fair comment. It's kind of like, okay, you've gotten what you want. Now can can we stop the, the chaos and stuff? Because I do think... That was wearing on everybody. Jeff, I think it's a bad choice. The Packers organization could have done better with uh, trade picks and with Jordan Love. Well, that's the other interesting thing that's there. What do you do with Jordan Love? Because he's been on the bench for two years now. You can control him for two more, and then you'd have to pay him a, a pretty substantial salary to keep him around for a fifth year. I mean, it would seem to me that you you got to start looking to see if you can trade him. Um, I, I, keeping him for another two years as the bench warmer when he's you know really not going to be playing unless disaster happens and Rodgers gets hurt, to me, that doesn't make much sense, but who knows. Jeff, Rodgers should have been traded the way he abused the Packers. They are the laughing stock of the NFL. Well, I don't know what they're the laughing stock of the NFL. I mean, they, he gives him a chance to win a boatload of games, but he hasn't gotten to the Super Bowl. Jeff, why do I feel like I'm kind of like a sucker? Uh, Jeff, five letters. Relax. Um, Jeff, they should have traded for Russell Wilson. He's better than Rodgers, been to Super Bowl, two Super Bowls, nine-time Pro Bowls, man of the year. Jeff, I was hoping Rodgers would have left and the Packers would have gotten Wilson. I'm sure Wilson would have been loved by the Packers fans. Well, I think there's no question about um, that. Jeff, too bad the Packers could not have worked out a three-way trade in such a way that Rodgers would have ended up with the Broncos and Russell would have ended up with the Packers. Jeff, it's the right move if we want to continue to win now. Brady has proven quarterbacks can continue to excel in their late 30s and early 40s, and Rodgers gives us the best chance to win. Well, I I think 
that there there is always that risk. Obviously, they are convinced that the, that there's not going to be a significant drop off in in his play, and that's I mean if if that has been a miscalculation, then this is going to end up being disastrous. But, I mean, obviously, there's no reason to believe that Rodgers isn't going to be as good next year as he was, you know, last year, except for the fact that, again, typically professional athletes, they they do not age like fine wine. And if you look at it historically, it's not not a sudden drop-off. A lot of times it's just, boom, they, they start to fall apart quickly. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen to Aaron Rodgers. Jeff, I'm 63 years young. I believe the pack will regret this move. Well, that's, I mean, th- th- this is now out there because they've clearly made the decision to spend all this money on Aaron Rodgers and all the baggage and the abilities that Aaron Rodgers you know, brings. But now you see what the alternative was. I mean, now we're talking in concrete terms because even if they say there was never any serious trade conversation, you know darn well that if they would have gone to Denver and said, okay, we're, we're willing to put Aaron Rodgers on the market, and he says he wants to play for Denver, oh, okay, you, you know if they would have done that, you would have gotten at least this and, and maybe more. Ted in Pewaukee. Ted, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Ted. Yeah, I believe that. I believe they made a mistake. I think they should have looked at doing a deal similar to what Seattle did, and I'll tell you why. Aaron Rodgers might play one more year and then put us through this whole rigmarole again. So technically, what they got out of him is a one-year deal, and they could have gotten at least the two first-round draft picks and at least the two second-round picks and maybe a whole lot more. Yeah, so you think they're so going to regret this? Get, get, Oh, yeah. It, it gets down to a bird in the hand versus two in the bush. I think by signing Aaron Rodgers, we, all we got is the two in the bush. There's no guarantee. <laughs> Uh, thank, thank, well, no, thanks for the call. There, there, there's no, there's no guarantee in, in, in a game of football. You know, you're, you know, you're always dealing with the issue of injuries. And, and again, the, the, it, it's one thing if Aaron Rodgers is 31. It's another thing when, when you're 39. But I mean, at the same time, I concede that he's playing at an incredibly high level there. Nevertheless, this is a, um, I think this is more risky than, than people, you know, believe. Jeff, I can't believe we have to deal with his drama for another four years or at least some more time. Jeff, I think Rodgers is toxic like Ryan Braun became. I was hoping former Badger Wilson would be coming to Green Bay. He is so mobile. Um, Jeff, it should not be lost in this development that Murphy, Gutenkust, and um, Matt LaFleur all have their legacies tied to Rodgers as well. Well, yeah, it's very, very clear that the Packers are in a win-now moment. And from a fan's perspective, you know, that, that that's great. I mean, I, I want to see the team go to the Super Bowl. I wanna, I've been wanting to see the team go to the Super Bowl since I was at the last Super Bowl, you know, in Dallas where they, they beat Pittsburgh. Clearly, they believe that even paying Rodgers all the money that they're paying him, and they clearly believe, I, I mean, I'm sure I think they have, well, another 10 minutes or so, I think is when they have the, the time to, uh, when they have to decide whether they're going to put the franchise tag on Devontae Adams, and I'm sure that they're going to do that, whether it's this hour or an hour from now or whatever. So, I mean, clearly they, they believe that they can do stuff to bring enough players back to, again, be in the one of the favorites to make the Super Bowl for, for next year, and, and I hope that that's certainly the case. So they're in the win for the moment as opposed to build for the future mode, and just I, I hope they end up 
uh, knowing, I hope they know what they're doing. Jeff, I, I hope that uh, people can play defensive linebacker and special teams. Well, that's an issue as well. In any event, uh, I, 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 I think this was probably always inevitable. I don't think Aaron Rodgers really wanted to retire. I, I think what was going on is Aaron Rodgers, because of his ego, and I don't fault this. I mean, America's a great country. Aaron Rodgers wanted to be the highest played player in football history. And once the Packers were willing to make him the highest paid player in pro football history, I think the, the deal became, you know, easy. And if Aaron Rodgers wants to get back to the Super Bowl, playing for the Packers probably gives him the best chance to do it. I hope this ends well for everybody. Time will tell. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. An update on another story that we, we talked about yesterday, and it it, it, it is not good news. On, on the mean streets of Milwaukee, you take your life into your own hands when, when you're out there on, on so many different in so many different ways, whether it's you know risking that your car is going to be stolen, risking that you're going to be the victim of a carjacking. and that's that, that's happening more and more because with, with many cars nowadays, you, you need the key fob to, to use the, to get the car started. And so what's happening is you're seeing this not just around here, but all across the country. More and more people are being extremely aggressive in especially going after women. You know, you keep your key fob in your purse. Well, okay, it's, it, if you can get a hold of somebody's purse, then you've got that key fob, and then you can start the car and drive it off. And it's leading to more and more carjackings occurring. So you, you have that going on. You have the reckless driving. It just it seems like everywhere you turn, there, there's a threat to life and limb. And, and this is the story we talked about uh, yesterday, 11.35 p.m. Saturday, West Hampton Avenue near North 49th, 49th and, and Hampton. And Hampton, at least for the longest time when I was growing up around here, it was it was an east-west thoroughfare that you would take if you wanted to go from the east side over to, from the North Shore over to Wauwatosa or something. Well, now you, you got to rethink this thing. 65-year-old Milwaukee man, his name was William Holmes, was crossing the, the street. 11.30 at night, he was hit by an unknown vehicle. They, they don't have a description of the vehicle, um, hit when he's crossing, he's in the intersection. The driver, of course, as happens on a regular basis now, you know, drives off. The driver is, in fact, in the wind. A, by- a bystander apparently flags down the police car to report the-, the crash, so at least that's good. But you have the driver of the car that hits the 65-year-old man who leaves him for dead. Um, at the time we talked about this yesterday, it they, they talked about his condition being grave, but we didn't know the results. Well, now it turns out this man has, in fact, passed away, becoming the, the latest death as a result of the absolute craziness and criminal behavior that goes on on the streets of Milwaukee on a regular basis, it, it, to the point where you, know, you, you drive your car, you don't know when somebody's going to blow through an intersection in a stolen car at 95 miles an hour and hit you. You try to cross the street. Well, you know, they always used to say, look both ways. Now, I don't even know what you tell people trying to cross the street because you never know when that crazy person's going to hit you and then just drive off knowing that maybe they'll be caught, but there's a good chance that they won't. Another death, this time a 65-year-old man, dies in a hit-and-run as a result of something that happened the other night. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Um, I know we're talking about the finances of highly paid professional athletes, but for your own perspective on finances, after the, the worst day in a long time in the stock market, there is a little bit of a rebound today. Dow Jones Industrial Average right now up about 284 points. The NASDAQ up 176 points. Uh, the Dow is in what they call a correction. A correction is when you drop 20 point to 10% from your your high and the the Nasdaq is in at least as of yesterday I don't know where it is with the numbers today but it was in an official a bear market which is when you drop 20% with 20% from the high um, but at, at the same time given everything that's going on in the economy and given the fact that you've got all this uncertainty caused by the the evil empires war in U- Ukraine uh, you got to expect some degree of volatility, but yet people are are still spending money. There's lots of money on travel. They're spending lots of money. You want to buy a car nowadays? I, I mean, good luck. You're going to end up paying well over sticker price, as we've talked before. You go to the pumps to fill up. You know, good luck. You're going to be paying you know four bucks plus a gallon, and that's going to probably be for the foreseeable future. But yet people are still willing to spend money on things that they want to do, which is why I thought this story was so very interesting from the Washington Post. And it's it focuses on a guy who loves Walt Disney World. And um, his family loves Walt Disney World. So he's 33 years old. He said he started pricing a trip. Um, to go to Disney World in in May with his two kids, ages two and four, and and his wife. And he said that by the time that you put everything together, by the time, even though the two-year-old is young enough for free admission, by the time you got tickets for three days that would allow them to visit multiple parks in, in a day, you know, bounce from the Magic Kingdom to Epcot or whatever, the cost would be... $1,455. If they wanted to stay on property, depending on where you would stay, you know, what hotel you wanted, um, it would be at least $500 a night and more than that, depending on, again, the place you wanted. In all, he estimates that even driving, not flying, but driving from where he lives in Bowling Green, Kentucky, down to, to Disney World and back, he said the cost of this trip, three days, you know, and then there and back, would be somewhere between four and $5,000. Four and $5,000. And, you know, then the story goes on to talk about how, you know, Disney has been, you know, Jacking up its its prices. Um, uh, for example, you know the rooms, uh, a hotel room, ninety five bucks in two thousand thirteen, hundred and sixty eight dollars uh, this year. That's a seventy seven percent increase, more than three times the rise in inflation over that span. And if you want to stay at places like the Animal Kingdom Lodge, that that's a lot more. And yet. This appears to be something where people don't care about the price. They're just they're just willing they're willing to go, and there doesn't appear to be any drop off in people wanting to attend. Okay, our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess I find this to be a really really interesting situation. Where on the one hand, 
we're, we're all talking about in the cost of inflation and how tough it is to, to make ends meet and the fact that the cost of milk and bacon and all these hamburger and all this stuff it has gone up. The price of gasoline has gone up. And yet when it comes to leisure time activities, you know, those prices are skyrocketing and, and yet people are still saying, okay, well, so it's $5,000 to go to Disney for a couple days. If we drive, we're going to spend the $5,000 to go to Disney. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This discretionary travel, the the fun travel. I mean, no, nobody says that you have to go to Walt Disney World as opposed to going you know, camping somewhere and stuff. It, is that going to fall off? Or because we've been so confined over the last couple of years because of COVID, because so many people have forgone vacations, is are we at a point where it doesn't matter what stuff costs? Charge us whatever. We are ducks. Pluck us. We'll pay for it because we want to get out and we want to do stuff. 855-616-1620. This leisure travel, this discretionary travel, the, gosh, five grand to go to Disney. Is there going to be a pullback? Or not. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I never tell people how to spend their money, but I, I, I am amazed where, where the money comes from. And, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, how, how people are going to fill up their cars with gas and, you know, where you're going to buy groceries and things. And big story in the Washington Post about Disney that is just the prices have gone through the roof. Their new two-night Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser experience, which includes a themed hotel and food, role-playing adventures, and a trip to the Star Wars section of Disney's Hollywood Studios, starts at $4,800 for two people on weeknights in the slow summer season. Starts at, let's round up to $5,000. That's where it, it starts. My goodness, 855-616-1620. Jeff, we're going to Disney the third week in March. Tickets alone for six days, $2,700. Does not include airfare, hotel, food, parking, etc. My wife thinks every kid should see Disney. Hence, that's why we are paying it. We are a family of four. People will continue to pay it as long as they see value. Nancy in Manitowoc. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking Hi, my call. Sure. Um, we had a trip planned two two years ago that was booked to go to Disney World, and obviously we couldn't do it. Uh, the problem being the airlines won't refund your money. They just give you a deadline, and that's when you have to plan your trip. So even though prices are high, I think that's why some people are going, because they have to use their their airline by a certain time or they lose their money. So that that's an issue because at Disney now you don't get the um, free fast pass anymore. Right. You pay per person if you want to do it. There's no meal plan, and it's ordering over your phone. I would rather have not gone during this time. <laughs> right. But thanks to the airlines, that's what we have to do. Moving so forward, thanks, let's. Call. Okay, thanks for calling, Nancy. I appreciate. You know, I mean, it's. I'm, and, and, yeah, I'm sure some people are in a situation where, okay, this is what we planned and we can't reschedule and we got the trip to Florida and we want to go and we don't know where else we're going to go. At some point in time, I wonder, 
do, do you, I don't want to use the cliche, kill the golden goose, but you, you wonder if that's the case, if you get to a certain point where you start to price families out, I mean, ordinary families out of, of the market. I mean, I understand there's always going to be that, that sort of, there, there's always going to be that, that niche for the kind of luxury travel. I, I appreciate that, but I don't think that's necessarily what Disney is built on. I mean, Dis, Disney Disney needs average people uh, to go, and I, when I'm looking at the email for the text from the person who says it's $2,700 for my family, and that, that's that's not getting us there, that's not staying there, that's just you know going to the different parks. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, speaking from a former cast member, that's what they they call their employees. Disney has been doing this for years. Maybe it's the new park CEO, maybe not. The only way to stop it is for people not to book trips. Maybe it would send a message to the parks that this would hurt their bottom line. They know people will pay for it for the week, and people do every day. The other truth is that ever since the parks reopened after COVID shut down, there's been less bang for your buck. Strip down park hopping, and now you have to pay per ride to use the FastPass system. Is it right? No, but people will still pay because it's Disney, and they'll do the theme park thing. Uh, Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I would be surprised if most people canceled the plans they already made because of these gas prices, but I wouldn't be surprised also if these gas prices kept up and it stopped people from making more plans. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, it, if, if it's affected it yeah. at some point. No, thanks for the call. No, I, I think you're, you know, whether it's Disney, I mean, I think this is going to be one of the challenges for the, the travel industry, certainly in, in the short term when you're talking about, Okay, four or five dollar a gallon gasoline for you know who knows how long it's it's going to last. Well, that ends up you know I mean it's it just it doubles your travel costs. So I, I could see easily if people plan to we're, we're going to take a car trip. We're going to take a car trip for for this summer, and we were thinking we're going to drive to the East Coast, for example. Well, okay, maybe we're still going to take the car trip, but instead of driving to Washington D.C., maybe we'll drive to Iowa or, or something like that. That. Or maybe we'll we'll stay in the state and we'll you know we'll figure out hey let's go out to the Mississippi Wisconsin's beautiful you know we don't know need to go to Washington D.C. this year we can you know drive out to La Crosse or something and save some money but I do think it's going to be a huge issue Jeff we're a family of six there's no way we could go the number of things that we could do for that amount of money is too great. There's no value in us. Jeff, just got back from a Florida trip that cost over $5,000. Disney was a huge chunk of that. We needed to get out of winter, but we'll think twice about doing such an expensive trip next year. The Disney experience has been greatly diminished uh, due to less magic for the money. That's kind of the premise of the Wall Street Journal. Jeff, I think the key is to understand that Disney appeals to, to kids. Parents will jump off a bridge for a smile on their kids' faces believe it so it, it doesn't make any difference jeff i just got back from vegas yesterday it was packed i'm going to disney the first week of april family of five it's ninety five hundred dollars for the week <laughs> ninety five hundred dollars for the week this will be the last time you have to pay for fast passes parking per night at your hotel and shorter park um hours $9,500. Now, I'm sure there's ways that you can do it le cheaper. I mean, if, if you don't stay on property, it, it's cheaper and things, but 9500 bucks. Okay, let, let's figure out, let, let's say they decide to 
knock it down and figure out a way that they can stay for seven grand. It's still seven grand. Jeff, we drove the RV down to Disney last August. We wouldn't do it this year. This season, we are staying in Wisconsin. Well, again, undoubtedly, because, you know, the cost of, of gas and things like that. Um, Jeff, for most families, a Disney vacation is a once-in-a-lifetime event, especially if you have kids. Um, it just goes to show that the alleged economic distress in the U.S. might not be as acute as some media outlets suggest. Well, I don't know. Um, be interesting to see how that all works out. And look, Disney's not going to go away, but you do wonder, you know, whether you're killing the, the golden goose. Jeff, I'm curious how much of these vacations people are taking are being financed via credit. Um, well, yeah. Jeff, I had thought, let's take a couple of days and go to the Dells over spring break, two nights in one of their villas, just to stay, doesn't include eating, doesn't include all the water park tickets. That was still $1,200. To me, that's stupid, expensive, and it's local. Well, you have that as well. Jeff, if an extra $200 in gas round trip to Florida breaks the bank, you probably should have been going on the trip in the first place. Well, but it's not just the $200 in gas. It's... The, the added cost of staying in the hotels, it's the added cost of the park tickets. And it's not just 200 it ends up being, I don't know, 500 or $1,000. Jeff, you could put an above-ground pool in for less than $9,500 and enjoy your backyard for a year. Jeff, I think you're going to see a lot of one-tank trips. I think that's entirely possible as well. Well, look, again, I never tell people how to spend their money and if you want to go to disney that's that that's great and enjoy it i've been to disney on multiple occasions i never got the roller coaster gene so i i don't get as much out of it as some other people end up doing and i don't know i'm not scheduled to go back and i i think it's going to be a long time before i can go i will go back because there's a lot of other places i'd rather go but if you're thinking about going to Disney, you, you better investigate exactly what all the costs are and be prepared for sticker shock if you haven't been there in five years or so. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Speaking of stupid money, <laughs> I, I just, and, and again, I don't want to sound like a broken record on this, but you know, we're talking a lot about football and Aaron Rodgers and things like that today. Uh, Major League Baseball opening day was scheduled for the end of the month. Uh, Brewers are supposed to open on March 31st. As of now, that has been canceled. Um, the Major League, because there's a lockout and there's no work agreement, Major League Baseball canceled the first seven games of the season. Well, here, here's the latest developments. Apparently, the owners gave the players' union a deadline of tonight to accept one of their options in a new proposal that would reinstate the 162-game season with full pay. Um, If no deal is reached by Tuesday night or at least by Wednesday afternoon, Major League Baseball officials said another week of regular season games would be canceled with the players forfeiting the pay. And by the way, I I am at the point now... I, I. I don't care about the owners. I don't care about the players. I, I really care mostly about the fans and particularly the, the employees who you know work at, at the ballparks and all the attendance sort of stuff. The people that you know work at the bars and the restaurants surrounding the baseball who, who depend on that sort of, of revenue. And it's been incredibly frustrating. Apparently, they did have some movement yesterday. Listen to these numbers. Major League Baseball increasing its luxury tax threshold from $220 million to $228 million. Um, Let's see. The 
uh, let's see, thirty million in a pre-arbitration pool. The union seeking eighty million. Uh, minimum salary raises from five hundred. Minimum salary from five hundred seventy thousand to seven hundred thousand. Union wants seven hundred twenty-five. That the numbers they are talking about are just so absolutely staggering. And again, I, this is one where I, I don't care if you blame the owners. You think the owners are just rich fat cats. Um, you blame the players who you think are completely and totally out of touch and don't realize that with $4 plus a gallon gasoline and inflation costs and you're arguing that your minimum salary is only 570000 I mean, there, there, there's points to be made on both sides. And in this particular case, I actually tend to side a little bit more with the players than I do with the owners. But the, the big picture is it is just so incredibly frustrating to me that you have a $10 billion pie that is built on the fans and that you haven't been able to work out an agreement as to how to divide $10 billion between people who play a game for a living and for between people who own the teams that the players play for. It's a $10 billion pie, and they haven't been able to get their act together, and it's all the quote-unquote little people. It's the fans. It's the people that buy the programs. It's the people that go to the games or watch the games or work at the games. They're the ones that are getting messed over, and you really just would wish you were in that room with these owners and players and saying, you know, are you guys clueless to what's going on in the world? Get this done. But that's just me. Let me take a quick break. When we come back, John McCure will find out what he has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.